Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. Hello, lovely humans. I'm Wyo and you are listening to Sex Stories, a podcast where we talk to people who are making the world a sexier, more loving place by doing things like normalizing exploration and discussion of human sexuality so we can all lead better laid lives. Our guest today is a board-certified pediatrician with extensive training in women's health, maternal fetal medicine, and newborn intensive care who came to recognize the lack of attention paid to mental health and physical recovery of women after childbirth. She routinely talks to patients about pelvic floor dysfunction during the postpartum period and takes a holistic approach to patient care, understanding that mental, physical, and emotional health are inseparable. We get that here at Sex Stories. And in 2022, she founded Artemis Luxury Wellness to facilitate discussion and exploration of human sexuality through a feminine lens. And she is here with us today. Welcome, Dr. Amber Hull. Thank you so much, Bio. I've so been looking forward to talking to you. And I just admire all the work that you're doing. So thanks for having me on today. Thank you so much. And likewise, and my audience knows very well that like my big dream is to have beautiful spaces, like sexy, beautiful spaces where people come together to talk and discuss and kind of like break down some of these barriers. So start out by telling us if you had to rate yourself on a sexual shame-o-meter from one being totally shameless when it comes to talking about sex, interacting about sex to 10 being like, oh, still kind of full of shame. Where do you fall right now today? And if it ever fluctuates, when? I'd probably rate myself around a two on that. As a medical professional, I have to be mindful. But also as a medical professional, I feel like it's important to normalize these things about myself so that other people feel comfortable talking to me and asking me their questions. That makes a lot of sense. Does your shame meter ever like super duper spike or relax depending on either who you're talking to or where you are? Absolutely. I've noticed that in bringing about Artemis Luxury Wellness, that conversations that I have with sex workers, with, you know, educators at adult toy stores, with other professionals who operate in the sexual wellness space, when I'm talking to swingers and kinksters and lifestyle folks, people are much more comfortable addressing these things and, you know, bringing that into the clinical setting and normalizing it for folks who may not be so comfortable in their own skin or comfortable with their own sexuality or comfortable asking questions. Those people who are still wrangling with a bit of shame become more comfortable when I create a safe space for them to be able to tell me things. I can really relate to that. Did you, in your medical professional training, ever get a class or an instruction that was like, and here's how to talk about difficult stuff? Or are you all just sort of, no, you're just thrown in? Damn. Yes, we're absolutely just thrown in. No, I never took a class. I did four years of undergrad, four years of medical school, three years of residency, and a year of fellowship. And never was I ever taught anything about human sexuality. Never was I taught to ask questions, how to ask questions, how to hold space. The only questions that I was taught in all of that medical training was, do you sleep with men, women, or both? And do you feel safe at home? 
I actually talked to a friend of mine who's in his second year of medical school at Stanford right now, getting ready to take his board exams. And I was like, what are they teaching you about human sexuality? I'd really like to have this conversation with you. And he texted me back and was like, that's an easy answer. We don't have to schedule a call. (gasps) Nothing. The answer is nothing. Damn. Also, I literally was just researching, like, because I get so many questions and advice things from people. I think I'm going to go get my master's in human sexuality. I found a program that I can do online. Holy shit. Wow. So, Dr. Amber, could you tell us now, to whatever extent you feel comfortable, because this is a mildly personal question, what sort of sex talk or sex ed or consent education did you yourself receive growing up? So I was raised in a strict Southern Baptist household. So there was no, basically no acknowledgement of sexuality at all. But I did go to school in inner city Little Rock, which was in the process back when I was in grade school of going through desegregation. So I went to a school that drew down federal funding from the government to desegregate the school systems. And so we did the whole condoms on bananas thing and, you know, period pads development, those types of things. But within the context of my family and my household, it was just shrouded in shame. You know, the promise ring was very big in the 80s, like save yourself for marriage, which I think is an absurd proposition. And in talking to my sister, she was like, mom never even talked to me about my period until after I had already been bleeding for two months. So yeah, my family just came from a time frame and a mindset where it was like in the case of my mom in 1979, it was preferable to be with an emotionally and sometimes physically abusive man than it was to be a single mom. And I'm so grateful that times have changed and that mm. we have options now. Agree. Okay. Now tell us in your professional experience, what is sexy to you? Consent, enthusiastic consent, being able to be fully naked and vulnerable in front of whoever it is that you choose to engage with. And for me, I love sensory play. You know, I love the sight, the smell, the sound, the the music, the environment, the engagement of all of the senses just deepens the level of connection that we can achieve when we share those intimate experiences with someone and finding someone that you can relate to on that level that has also that level of depth and attunement within themselves and the ability to explore and hold space with another person that's bottled lightning and when we can find that mm, it's magical yeah yeah And so when you're working with clients, maybe this comes up with patients as well, you can tell me, but I think specifically it's going to be more for Artemis-related stuff. When you're talking about sex, what are you referring to? What counts as sex definitionally when you're working with people? All of it. Outer course, oral, touch, fingers, toys. I think that the whole concept of PIV or penis and vagina penetration as being the main event does a real disservice to the overall encounter of pleasure. There's so much that we can do to connect with one another and to explore what makes our partners and playmates tingle with joy or like moan in ecstasy. There's so much more to it than just penetration. And I can talk all about the anatomy and how the distance of the clitoris from the vaginal entry has a lot to do with whether or not a person can orgasm 
during PIV alone, like I could go off on anatomy, but when I'm talking to clients, I think there's a nice balance that I'm able to strike between providing some medical context and doing it in a way that's playful and accessible to people, regardless of their preferred relationship structure or sexuality. Also, though, to go back to that physical detail, what is the relationship? Like, is there a clear thing to say there? So the ability of a female person to achieve orgasm has to do with the distance between the clit and the vaginal introitus. So when someone is being vaginally penetrated, if the distance to the clitoris is too far away, she's not going to achieve adequate stimulation of that very sensitive clitoral tissue in order to go over the falls with penetration alone. That's why like 70 to 80% of women can't climax that way. So there's a requirement to have either, you know, manual stimulation or a vibrator on the clit or, you know, some other physical mapping. But there have actually been studies done showing that basically like if your clit is further away from the vaginal introitus than the width of your thumb, you're not going to get there with penetration alone. Oh, interesting. Do you mind if I share a personal example from my own vagina? I'm here for it. Okay. So I don't usually come from penetration. I can if I've been warmed up for a long time and or edged for a while and or if I have a partner who is shaped just so and can grind in the right places. So tell us now a little bit about what your sex-related work is like, and maybe tie this in with your professional origin story as a pediatrician. And I think this one has an obvious answer for you, but I ask this of all my guests here on Sex Stories who have a professional job that is related to sex. Do you identify as a sex worker? Ooh, great questions. This is juicy. So with Artemis, our kickoff retreat was on May the 27th, and it was absolutely phenomenal. The facilitator, so I spoke, I had a pelvic floor physical therapist who came and spoke, a clinical sexologist, a professional sex worker, and we, again, were able to present human sexuality to a largely female audience, an overwhelmingly professional audience, in a way that touched on the medical aspects, touched on the pleasure, touched on the social aspects of relationship dynamics, whether it's monogamy, ethical non-monogamy, kink, you know, how to approach these conversations with your partner if you want to go into those spaces, but aren't really sure how. And we did it with all of the sparkle of the, you know, Cirque performers and, you know, in a luxury, like gated estate with, you know, high-end food and fire performances. And so it's really something unique. And I got overwhelmingly positive feedback from this. I had people come to me who had flown in from the East Coast for this experience who said to me, I wasn't really sure what to expect when I signed up for like a sexual health and wellness retreat in Las Vegas. (laughs) And what you've done here exceeded every expectation I could possibly have imagined. What you've done here is so important. You've done it in a way that is just magical. And I have a lot to process when I go home from this experience. And so from my standpoint, would I consider myself a sex worker? No. I mean, I consider myself a physician at the end of the day. I worked really hard to achieve the knowledge base and skill set of a clinician and my patients still are my number one priority. But 
stepping into this space has really allowed me to explore my own sexuality, explore my own boundaries, learn how to communicate my preferences and, you know, also have a lot of fun. Fuck yeah. What was the moment? Was there a moment where you were like, oh, I need to do the sex related stuff to help people? Like, was there a tipping point for you that like got you headed toward Artemis? So the whole process has been an exercise in audacity, I have to say. Mm -hmm. Again, because we're not talking about any of this stuff in medical school. So the tipping point for me, I think, in stepping into this space was, you know, all of this is so tied together. So I stopped drinking in November of 2021 just as I was getting ready to start my pediatrics practice. And I was coming out of a year of, you know, complete disability. I had a femur fracture of my right side. I was totally disabled for 10 months. Couldn't walk, had to learn to walk again. Couldn't work. Definitely couldn't go back into working into the for-profit healthcare system. So I I knew that I needed to do something different in order to do that. And in order to be a 24-hour-7 pediatrician, I had to stop drinking. I didn't have a choice. And so for me, my sexuality is very intertwined with the recovery space and the introspection and the mental work that's required to stop using, whether it's alcohol or in my case, prescription medications that my doctors freely prescribed. Stepping away from all of that really requires a lot of emotional work. And the emotional work of recovery has been very connected to the emotional work that I'm doing in the sexual wellness space and having the courage to come out as a physician (laughs) in this system that's so divided, having the courage to step out publicly and say, this is my story and this is important has been a heavy lift. And I've had the words bold. What you're doing here is very bold and you're kind of terrifying and I kind of like it. I've had those things said to me and I consider them to be compliments. I love that. I love hearing that. I'm reflecting on that and sometimes receiving feedback about yourself. I'm not very graceful about it. What does it feel like to be so audacious? Were you always audacious or is that like from this evolution? I've always had a problem with arbitrary authority. (laughs) Me too. Stupid people. I hate them. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. And that goes back to, you know, childhood. And I can point back to teachers that I had, you know, when I was still in single digits from an age standpoint, who I was like, says who, you know, what, what gives you the right to say that or think that or enforce that. So having the audacity to step into this space from a personal and medical standpoint, it's something that I've just had for a long time. And I guess I took for granted, but now I see it as it's a nice little thing to have on my CV audaciousness. Fuck yeah. Okay. So through the course of your work, is there a sex story that you can share with us that's either like helpful, informative, inspiring, or kind of juicy? So there's a book that I listened to recently called Tell Me What You Want by Justin Miller. Yep. I'm trying to talk to Justin. We're in talks. (laughs) He is fantastic. And he is also the first academic who has published, to my knowledge, data on a national survey of American sexual fantasies. He conducted this and got people to respond to his survey through 
Facebook and Instagram and Reddit. And people were very candid in their disclosures about what they were up to and what they're into. And the top three fantasies, let's see if I can remember them off the top of my head, are multiplayer play. So Mm -hmm. group sex, threesomes, that kind of thing. BDSM and novel experiences. So for me, exploring ethical non-monogamy has been truly a revelation. And Justin's work helped to normalize my feelings about that. Mm -hmm. So it was in March of 2022 um, that I started seeing someone who gave me the term solo polyamory. This person said to me, I am solo poly in the true sense of the word. And I was like, what does that mean? And so, of course, I, I Google it and come across solopoly.net. And I was like, yes, it's like someone finally gave me a term to describe a way that I've always felt like I'm not interested in intertwining my life or finances with a primary partner. I've done that before. I don't want to do it again. You know, I want to bring my best self to every relationship. And part of doing that is me putting my relationship with myself as number one and learning to communicate that. And now with any encounter that I go into with, you know, potential friends or potential romantic partners, potential sexual playmates, I put that card on the table right up front so that they don't have expectations of a traditional like relationship escalator. Yes. You know, I don't believe this whole idea of like the Hallmark movie, one true soulmate, one person can fill all of my, you know, physical, emotional, all of my needs. I don't believe it's fair to put those expectations on one person. And I don't want one person to put those expectations on me. doesn't usually work out very well. It hasn't for me historically. (laughs) And that's okay. And so for me, I guess the juiciest thing that I'm willing to reveal about myself as a medical professional is that, you know, I'm ethically non-monogamous and I approach it in a very mindful way. And I have been exploring my bisexuality and I've been exploring multiplayer play in ways that are safe, in ways that are healthy, in ways that we clearly discuss sexually transmitted infections. I require proof of STI results before I engage physically with anyone. And that increases my comfort level and I think draws people into my orbit who see the value in the things that I'm asking. And it sort of filters out people that I would rather not be in my orbit. Thank you so much for sharing all of that because it is important for us to normalize and to just be like, no regular people. Because me being out and being like, all these people, sex parties, poly, like I'm officially like an artist, sex worker, queerdo. And so, you know, that doesn't help when I say it for a lot of people who feel a little more regular. And so thank you for sharing all of that. You're welcome. Also, that's amazing. And I just, I love that I'm now in a sphere where I'm just surrounded by people who are like, yeah, we can make it up as we go along. Yeah, we deserve to be happy. And also congrats. That's really, how do you, here's what I wanted to know when you were sharing that. Are you just like, by the way, I'm solo poly. Like, how do you say that if you feel comfortable sharing? I think how we ask the question is so important. And the question that I now ask people is, what's your situation? Mm. I don't assume like just in my 
orbit out in the wild, like when I go to the gym and someone approaches me at the gym, which has happened, and, and I have married people approach me at the gym, monogamous married people approach me at the gym looking for like a side piece. I've had it happen numerous times. And I shut that shit down. I'm not yeah. interested in monogamous people. So the question that I ask is, what's your situation? Not are you single or are you married? Because you can be married and can conduct yourself in the arena of ethical non-monogamy in a way where your wife or partner is involved and consenting, and that's completely fine. So asking what's your situation makes people really sort of pause and be thoughtful about their response. Are you single and monogamous? Are you married and monogamous? Are you partnered and monogamous? Are you solo polyamorous? Are you a swinger? Are you a Kingster, are you into BDSM and you don't engage sexually with your partners, but you do engage in, you know, like adult cops and robbers, so to speak, of like BDSM play with other people? So just saying what's your situation is a good conversation starter, I've found. I love that. Okay, now I would like to shift gears a little bit and just hear more about your favorite parts of the sex-related work that you're doing. And you can bring any part of your work into that, actually, because isn't it all sex-related? Um, but I would just love to hear like your favorite parts of your work. So really, it's having conversations. And when I say I've been looking forward to talking to you, I really have been looking forward to talking to you because it's, it's these conversations that just light me up. In the course of this work, I've been able to talk to you know, moms in the postpartum period that are going through this golden life transition. I've talked to other doctors. I've talked to physical therapists. I've talked to psychologists. I've talked to sex workers. I've talked to senators, business people, lawyers, performers, artists, musicians. And when I sort of put those cards on the table about my own experiences and I share that vulnerability with people, it makes people feel safe in sharing their experiences with me. And that's the gold of this. I will tell you, it's interesting. I've been invited to like kink photo shoots and I've gotten to know a few, you know, professional photographers who work in like the adult and the boudoir arenas. And the people who become most uncomfortable when I'm talking about Artemis, you know, it's not a porn studio. It's a sexual health and wellness experience that's focused on sex education. The people who become most uncomfortable when I talk about this are bankers and lawyers and insurance people who are just like, oh my God, what do I do with this? Yeah. So it's just been an interesting experiment and observation of human nature. Oh, I bet you have so much cool anecdata in your brain that I would love to mine. And I am doing it right now. Okay. So tell us now, what is it that makes you excellent at what you do? It sounds like you have this incredible ability to share vulnerably and connect with people. But what else would you say people are attracted to about your superpowers? I think just the fact that this excites me so much. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It really goes a long way, doesn't it? That excitement. People can. Yeah. I do get a lot of pleasure out of having these conversations and sort of helping people push their own boundaries and be okay with exploring their own erotic imagination. Dan Savage uses that word all mm -hmm. the time, right? Like mm -hmm. a zone of erotic autonomy. And when people are willing to engage in these conversations with me, I light up the way that I am right now. And I'm sure you can see it on camera. I really enjoy this stuff. And I think that that's part of where the magic happens is allowing people to sort of like step into my enthusiasm and like go there with me. 
that's the most gratifying part of all this. And the Vegas Sparkle is really fun too. And I'm looking at venues right now to host my second event, which is going to be on October 21st. And so I'm looking at some penthouses and villas and really like high gloss locales. I'm hoping to get some corporate sponsorships and maybe do like a lingerie fashion show and you know, oh, really put the sparkle on sex education in a way that makes it worth traveling to Las Vegas to do this for. Absolutely. Lovers, this episode is sponsored by Blue Chew. We all know that the foundation to an awesome sex life is excellent mental and physical health, but if proper rest, exercise, and a healthy lifestyle aren't leading to the blood flow you'd like when and where you'd like it, check out BlueChew.com. BlueChew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra, Cialis, and Levitra, but in chewable tablets at a fraction of the cost. You can take them anytime, day or night, so you can plan ahead or be ready whenever the opportunity arises. And the process is simple. Sign up at BlueChew.com, consult with one of their licensed medical providers, and once you are approved, you'll receive your prescription within days. The best part, it's all done online, so no visits to the doctor's office, no dealing with awkward physicians who aren't trained to talk about sex lives, plus no waiting in line at the pharmacy. BlueChew's tablets are made in the USA and prepared and shipped direct to your door in a discreet pack. They always say first impressions are important, but what about lasting impressions? Lovers, I do believe that we can always make loving, lasting impressions by connecting and being present and chasing our pleasure and our partner's pleasure. And if your priority is making a deep, deep impression between two beautiful, enthusiastic thighs or cheeks in the name of partnered pleasure, I get it. I've worn a strap on now. I, too, love having a hard cock. Blue Chew and I want you to have better sex. Discover your options at BlueChew.com. Chew it and do it. And we've got a special deal for our listeners. Try Blue Chew free when you use our promo code LOVER at checkout. You just pay $5 for shipping. That is BlueChew.com promo code LOVER to receive your first month free. Visit BlueChew.com for more details and important safety information. And thank you to Blue Chew for sponsoring the podcast. I want to hear just like a little bit about Artemis and what that's like, because you just had an event, right? Correct. So Artemis Luxury Wellness came about, as you mentioned, as a result of my pediatrics practice. As you mentioned, I'm a board certified pediatrician and I have a concierge practice here in Las Vegas. The care model is direct primary care, so I don't take insurance. Parents have direct access to me. Patients text me directly. It's a flat, transparent rate. And I take care of everything that they need. And that's a way of doing healthcare that has really been lost in the for-profit sort of corporate-driven healthcare machine in the United States. And because I have this type of access and provide this type of care, I'm able to talk with women. Like I have four babies being born into my practice this summer, right? Three of those patients are still pregnant. And I am in touch with them during their third trimester of pregnancy, checking in. How are you doing? How are you feeling? Make sure that you're enjoying some nice, quiet, romantic time with your partner. Make sure that you're enjoying being horny as your hormones are raging while you're pregnant. Because once the baby's born, that whole situation is going to change. And I'll go visit patients in the hospital, meet their new little ones, and sort of talk through all of the things that hospitals don't take the time to do anymore. Talk through, you know, nursing and bleeding and tears and recovery and postpartum anxiety, depression, emotional fluctuations, lack of sleep. And I go and visit families in their homes so I can continue having these conversations at two days of life, two weeks of life, one month of life, two months of life, and really check in on women in a way that isn't being done in other clinical settings. 
it was through these experiences and through these very intimate conversations with women during this, what I see as a very special moment in their lives as they're becoming parents, I came to recognize that the system is really failing women in addressing this issue of their health. There's typically a postpartum visit at six weeks, usually a month to six weeks after delivering a baby where basically the OBGYN will check and make sure that, you know, your intestines aren't falling out through your C-section incision and, you know, that your cervix isn't prolapsing through your pelvic floor, but they don't even do an external exam of the perineum in women who have delivered vaginally. And so I've had women say to me things like, you know, I'm still peeing a little bit when I like run or sneeze. Like, how long does that last? What do I do about that? As a pediatrician, it's not like really technically in my wheelhouse, but all of, as you mentioned, all of my background and all of my elective rotations in med school were in obstetrics and gynecology and high-risk pregnancy and GYN oncology. And so it's a knowledge base that I have, and I have the luxury of the time to talk to women about this. So it really was out of that clinical arena that the idea for Artemis started up in addressing like, hey, we need to normalize this conversation about women's pleasure. And we need to normalize the conversation about pelvic floor dysfunction during pregnancy and, you know, pain with intercourse and vaginal dryness around the time of menopause. And, you know, let's address these problems rather than either pretending that they don't exist or like not having a checkbox for them because insurance isn't getting paid to address them. Who's your primary target audience? It sounds nice. It sounds like it's kind of like classy oriented? Like what adults are you hoping to reach? So I would say the people who are resonating the most with my brand are women, professional women. I would say like, there's a reason that 50 Shades of Grey sold 50 million copies worldwide, right? And it's because women are interested in exploring their sexuality, but have been told by cultural and societal and religious influences that it's not okay to go there and it's not okay to have that thought mm-hmm. and it's not okay to want to be desired and eroticized. And so giving women permission to feel that and explore that and talk about that is really powerful stuff. And so I would say my target audience is women, whether they're cis, trans, gay, straight, bi, queer, poly, swingy, kinky, all of the things facilitating those discussions amongst women. I think that's who it's really resonating with. Okay. Is it femme specific? Because dude listeners, sounds like good ratios, just saying. Yeah. And there were several guys, I would say that the proportion was probably like 60, 40 women to men at the kickoff retreat. And the men who were in attendance were like, thank you so much for not lampooning my sexuality because I don't think that it serves my vision to be hostile towards cisgendered heterosexual men. I think it's important for them to feel comfortable. And one of my speakers did a fantastic job of talking about, like with visual aids of G-spot, squirting, female orgasm, like describing things about women's anatomy that I never learned in medical school. (laughs) And that I think both women and men in the audience were like, oh, I never knew that. I can get down with that. I want to go home and try this on her. Um, And so 
I definitely want men at the table, regardless of their relationship preferences or sexual orientation or identity. I think it's important to include everyone's experiences because I can learn from everyone just as much as they can learn from me. Totally. I love treating each person as if they are their own expert because in fact they are. And then I just do learnings, you know, and sometimes that creates problematic bumps in the relationship down the road for other reasons. But like, I just love learning and getting to know other people's perspectives and their turn-ons. It's just so hot. Like, I think I have a thing called vicarphilia where I just live vicariously through whatever people are (laughs) excited by. So it's a lot. Here's what I would love to know. So maybe you can't tell us exactly a day or week in the life because it sounds like you do some very different things. But maybe at Artemis, tell us kind of like what's an experience in the life like at Artemis so far and or what's evolving? I absolutely love everything about what I'm doing with Artemis. And I'll, I'll give you a couple of examples of things that have happened within the last two weeks. So I was introduced through this project to a local boudoir photographer and her studio is T. Marie Creative. And she was like, I started this brand because in the wake of my pregnancy, I didn't feel sexy anymore. I didn't recognize my own body. And so I booked a session with a boudoir photographer when my youngest was like a year old. And it just totally changed the way that I saw myself. And it inspired me to start my own photography studio. Mm. And talking with her, her story totally resonated with me. And she was like, I'd like to invite you to come to the studio and have this experience. And I was like, enthusiastic consent. Yes. And so on Friday, I went to her studio, which is in an 11th floor loft overlooking Las Vegas, like beautifully appointed beautiful wardrobe. And we had a professional makeup and professional hair. And I got to go into her closet and pick sexy clothes to wear and go into her jewelry and like, you know, collar and cuff collection that was just gorgeous. And we got to spend the morning taking beautiful photos it's grown up dress up. Yes. I felt like I, I was it. being dressed up like a paper doll. And I, you know, yeah. I've wanted to be a high fashion model since I was a teenager. So it kind of gave me the opportunity to live out that little fantasy of my own. And when she showed me the pictures, girl, these are fire. We have a session scheduled tomorrow to go through <laughs> these photos. And I'm like, oh my God, this is amazing. So I got to have that experience. And then yesterday, I went to meet with one of the folks at Resorts World who like walked me through the entire property because I'm interested in possibly doing my next event with them. And she showed me these gorgeous spaces overlooking the strip, like lounges that we could use to have these facilitated discussions about, you know, whether it's the cultural role of pornography or, you know, sex work or, you know, how to communicate about ethical non-monogamy or how to demystify kink and be able to have these conversations in these very luxurious, like lush, beautiful settings overlooking Las Vegas. So I spent yesterday morning just walking through the property at Resorts World and going through these back hallways and looking at these, you know, penthouses and villas and, you know, thinking through like, what would it look like to have, you know, professional pole dancers and what would it look like to have a fashion show and where would the models walk and, you know, where would the educators set up and do their AV presentations and how could this space be oriented to have a facilitated discussion about human sexuality? So those are a couple of the fun things that I've gotten to do just in the last week related to Artemis. Amazing. 
What are some of the reactions you get? You mentioned a little bit about like bankers and investors being sort of, you know, regular people being like, ah, sex. But what are some of the other reactions you get from people who maybe meet you as a physician and then learn more about what you do? So I have been very mindful of how my message is conveyed, right? Because I have spent 16 years building my medical education, building my knowledge base and skill set, building my clinical reputation in the ivory tower. You know, I did my subspecialty rotations in pediatrics at Johns Hopkins. So I have to be very mindful of the messaging and make it palatable to both the dean at UNLV, who I have approached with this idea, because I think it's important that doctors and nurses and psychologists be trained to have these conversations. So whether I'm talking to deans of medical school or, you know, trustees of, you know, professional medical organizations or, you know, brands like Victoria's Secret and Honey Burdette or moms in the privacy of their own homes, the language that I choose to use in this space can mean the difference between someone immediately becoming at ease and someone immediately becoming guarded and taking a step back Mm. from me. So I think that the language is so important because when you talk about sex, you talk about everything. Yeah. Lovers, we are going to take a quick pause for a word from our sponsor. And they have given me notes to do a sultry female voice. So I'm very excited and I'm going to do my best. Did you know the Flora app is a safe place to open up, embrace your desires, and find like-minded people? This is the story of one couple who found the threesome of their dreams, discovered a new level of shared passion, and stepped into a whole other realm of possibilities. All thanks to Flora. As life's routines settled in, Robert and Lucy found themselves yearning to explore uncharted territories. So they downloaded Floor and embarked upon a thrilling journey of sensual experimentation, learning more about each other's desires in the process. Open-minded and adventurous, Robert and Lucy dreamt of adding a new dimension to their intimacy, sharing the touch of another woman, being witnessed and connecting in a way that transcends the ordinary. In Floor's diverse and accepting community, Lucy connected with Emily, a babe craving the same experiences. So they invited Robert to the conversation. The chemistry built and anticipation heightened as they exchanged messages until finally their agreed-upon date night arrived. A gorgeous hotel was the setting for their evening of pleasure, passion, and connection. A shared exploration that fulfilled each party's desires. Floor app celebrates the beauty of open-minded connections. It's a platform where fantasies come to life and desires are embraced without judgment. For couples seeking adventure with others or individuals keen on exploring, Floor invites us all to a world where every desire is a possibility waiting to unfold. Download Floor now, express your desires freely, and find like-minded people today. On that note, what are some of the least sexy things that come up in the course of your work? So, medical aspects, right? I am very comfortable talking about sexually transmitted infections. And a lot of what I've learned about transmission trends in sexually transmitted infections is actually from the professional sex workers that I know. I talk with adolescent patients and with, you know, adults through the avenue of Artemis about, you know, routine testing. What do we test for? What do we not test for? Why aren't physicians ordering antibodies against HSV, herpes simplex virus, when half of the adult population carries HSV-1 antibodies? Like, 
80% of American adults will be exposed to human papillomavirus at some point in their lives. Yes, you can get gonorrhea and chlamydia in your throat. And yes, you should be getting throat swabs. And if you're having rectal penetration, you should be getting rectal swabs too. Yeah. Also herpes. I have herpes in my throat. And every physician who's encountered me since that, because I'm like, yes, I like deep throating. I had a partner that lied to me about the protection they were using. And we did that. We were doing oral stuff uncovered. And the reactions I've gotten from every doctor so far is like, Oh, really? They were like, aren't you supposed to be immunocompromised? And I'm like, am I supposed shouldn't, to be? Shouldn't they know. know the answer no. to this question? But they're like very, very, very concerned. They're like, wow, HSV2 in your throat. You know, and they ask me questions about that. But it's like on all the medical things, it's like only immunocompromised patients can get HSV2 in their throat. I'm like, that is not true. Like I have it. So just to throw that in there. Yeah. When I asked my own doctor, because I'm a big proponent of the HPV vaccine and women, and it's now been approved, quote unquote, for women up to 46, meaning like insurance may or may not pay for it, which is the case with pretty much anything in the healthcare system, whether insurance pays for it or not. But I'm paying cash to get those vaccines because I think it's important and I want to protect my health. But when I brought the topic up to my own OBGYN and was like, hey, you know, I want to get vaccinated, she like visibly became uncomfortable at my mention of ethical non-monogamy. And I was like, you and I have both spent our careers looking in people's vaginas. Like, why are you becoming uncomfortable at the mention Mm -hmm. of this really important topic? And so sexually transmitted infections, it's unsexy, but it's necessary for good sex to be screened regularly and to be comfortable talking to your partners and like have that conversation so that you're not doing damage to people. Absolutely. That I would say is less sexy, but very important. Okay. On that note, on this same note, what have you noticed or learned about sex-related shame? It is rampant in the culture, especially amongst women. And I think that there is a lack of acknowledgement of the power of our erotic imaginations. And I'll specifically speak to women and people on the femi end of the spectrum. There's a reason that smut sells, right? (laughs) And I have, you know, female physician colleagues who write erotica as their, you know, side hustle. And I know lots and lots of women who are interested in that. And the dollar signs speak to that. And public shaming has become a blood sport in this country. Like we love to drag people on the internet. And certainly the idea is not lost on me that I'm probably going to get dragged on the internet. And I could very well get dragged on the internet tomorrow for sitting here and having this conversation with you. Yeah, yeah, me too. And I've tried to mentally prepare myself for that and steel myself against that because at the end of the day, those haters writing shit on the internet are not making my mortgage payment. No. Also, they're just confused fans. They're still giving you their energy. No matter how many times someone writes to me that I'm ugly or something, it's like, okay, (laughs) thanks for your energy. (laughs) Yes, thank you. You're beautiful and I love your energy. But I think that people are monetizing shame for clicks and clicks are money. So it just makes people, especially women and femme people, uncomfortable talking about this stuff, even to their doctors, because their doctors are not mentally or emotionally prepared to have these types of conversations. And I can speak to that from personal experience. Right. So from your stories earlier, too, it sounds like there are also lots of moments where you have maybe been there for the dissolution of someone's shame or you've created a safe environment for someone to like let go of shame. Is there anything you can speak to that has to do with melting shame? Yes. So one of the more magical moments in the Artemis retreat in May was 
during facilitated discussion of the topic of pornography. So I have a friend who's a playwright who wrote a script of an encounter between male and female cisgender heterosexual monogamous couple where the woman is, you know, shaming her male partner about his engagement with pornography and basically threatening the relationship and saying, you know, if you don't stop looking at porn, then this relationship is over. How could you do this? Why am I not enough? You know, I'm right here. Why do you need this other outside stimulation? And, you know, he is sort of like stumbling over himself and wrestling with his own shame. And, you know, the scene cuts off with her saying, if you don't stop doing this, our relationship is over. And then I open the floor to discussion. And I really, in that role, I'm not there to teach. I'm there to listen. And I'm there to learn from other people's experiences. And the vulnerability and candor with which people spoke about their own experiences and viewpoints on this very sensitive topic. I'm not going to put footage of that on to any of my media platforms or anything because people shared that type of vulnerability with me, but it was amazing. And the things that people had to say about their own experiences, their own history, the influences of culture, you know, misunderstandings and communication, how her positioning and accusations and shaming really are going to become an inhibitor of them seeking pleasure between themselves. All of this came about out of a two-minute script about porn. And in that moment, I think a lot of shame was broken down and a lot of self-examination took place. And I had people approach me at the end of the retreat to be like, I'm going home and I have a lot to think about. And my experiences going forward will change as a result of what I've been a part of here. This is amazing. Mm, That's beautiful. That really resonates with me a lot to that particular topic, because in my normal everyday bubble, I'm not around people who experience porn as anything threatening. I'm around people who are like, I'm noodling on how to create the new era of educational, erotic adult, you know, entertainment. Or I don't know, is it entertainment or is it educational or can it be both? But you know, it's interesting because I then will like venture out of my zone and friend acquaintances who maybe listen to sex stories will come to me and they'll tell me that they're struggling with their partner. These are cishet females struggling with their male partners who are watching porn. And it's so foreign to me. And then I've also been in situations where I'm like, oh, no, wait, no, I'm on OnlyFans. No, like other people's husbands are getting off to me, you know, and so It's just so interesting because I'm now on both sides of that coin. And as a person who's just never experienced, well, do you think it comes from monogamous cultures? Like, I don't experience porn as a threat, but I also just have never been monogamously partnered with someone who maybe had compulsive behaviors. I don't know. Well, I think that it's also important to point out that pornography has become de facto sex education in this country. That's why I want to make new porn that's on purpose educating (laughs) (laughs) Right. And I, you know, and I talk to adolescent patients on the regular about what do they know? What are they teaching you? I've read the curriculum for the Clark County School District, which is like the fifth largest school district in the country. And I've asked adolescent patients, young teenagers, what are they teaching you in school about this? And their answer is the same as my friend at Stanford, nothing. And so when the schools aren't teaching it, parents are uncomfortable, not all, but 
many are uncomfortable broaching the topics of human sexuality and, you know, kink and safety and consent and all these things. The de facto sex education in this country has become what's in every 10-year-old's pocket on the playground. And so for something that's so ubiquitous in the culture, I think as adults, as clinicians, as people who are interested in pleasure and sexuality, there's no getting around addressing the issue of pornography. And yes, it is possible to be both pro-child and pro-sex worker at the same time. These two things aren't mutually exclusive. Yeah, totally. I I keep like kind of kicking myself in the pants because I'm like, damn it, I should have been a children's educator. What was I doing being so sexy? And then there's another little voice in my head that's like, well, there's still time to do it all. <laughs> yes. You know, like I think I think we are in a world that's changing. And I think, I don't know, the more I talk to people one-on-one, it's not so black and white as the larger, broader conversations that we get roped into. Okay, so how has your work influenced or informed your own sex life? My work has beautifully informed my own sex life because as I'm exploring these spaces socially and culturally and medically, It's given me the language to ask for what I want from my partners and playmates, right? Like I move through the world being very clear about the importance of pleasure for me and the importance of safety and testing and communication. And, you know, I think it's only fair to say that I have high expectations of the people who I invite to be in my life. Part of my recovery, part of my professional development, part of my personal exploration, I've raised the bar on who has access to me, right? Like I've done too much healing. Mm. I've done too much work on myself not to raise the bar on who has access to me. So I do my best to communicate that clearly. And I think the people who are willing to step up to those expectations who are willing to go get tested, who are willing to try new things with toys and, you know, sensations that they've never played with before are being handsomely rewarded by their courage and stepping into that space with me. Fuck yes. Do you have anything to say about boundaries, whether that's your work-life personal boundaries or like having to set boundaries with people you encounter through your work because of sexy things? Like how do boundaries show up in your life? Boundaries are there for me to make sure that I can be the best version of me for you. And it's important for me to enforce those, whether it's from an emotional standpoint, from a time management standpoint, So if there's something that I'm not comfortable with from a physical standpoint, I'll say that from the beginning and I am good giving in game. There's not a whole lot that I will say no to from an exploration standpoint. With a personal partner. Correct. Okay. Okay. Cool. I want to differentiate for our listeners in case they ever encounter you that you're not just like open for business. I think that your preamble made that clear, but I just make sure... Have you ever had to enforce boundaries between yourself and either a patient or a client? From a patient care standpoint, I haven't run into that issue and I don't expect to. My clinical practice, I have a professional 
while up. Like when I walk into someone's house, I'm wearing like scrubs and no makeup and like a cap on my head. And, you know, I looked like I just rolled off the wards at the hospital. And I've had some of the moms in my practice who, when they see photos that are on, you know, the Artemis, which are, you know, all professional headshots, but with me wearing makeup and my hair done, they're like, oh my God, I wouldn't have even recognized you if I came across this and didn't know you. Very Marilyn Monroe of you. Yes. (laughs) Thank you. That's a very high compliment. So I keep my clinical practice in that space very separate from kind of like the playful, sexy things that I'm doing with Artemis. And certainly, that applies to my personal life too. I haven't had anyone in the patient care space reach out to me with unprofessional solicitations or requests. I also haven't had that happen on the Artemis side. I know it's just a matter of time because this is all, again, in its infancy, but it's something that I'll be mindful of going forward. I'm just curious because I'm now in the loop of, I mean, you're a radiant being who's teaching and sharing informational and sharing fairly vulnerably, especially for someone in your position. And so I imagine it's only truly a matter of time before people are like, I like you. All right. Well, I'm curious to hear how you handle it, but it sounds like you're going to be just perfect. Okay. So now I'd love to hear what you have learned more broadly speaking, patterns-wise, about cultural norms through your work, if there's anything we haven't covered yet that has surprised you and or that you would like to shift? So one of the things that I've really been going back and forth on is how to provide this type of education to physicians and to nurses and to other medical professionals. How do I facilitate the teaching of this information to other healthcare professionals in a way that's going to be palatable by the ivory tower, right? And I have looked into and am considering offering continuing medical education. So every physician in this country, in order to maintain their state licensing and like insurance and these types of things, has to do a certain number of continuing medical education credits every year. For the state of Nevada, I have to do 35. And it's all very tightly regulated. And I think this is a space that warrants professional continuing medical education. But when I have attempted to broach that subject with folks in the ivory tower, they either don't respond, dodge the question, or get squicked out by the fact that I even asked. As if 100% of families who seek out a pediatrician aren't there as a result of sexual activity. (laughs) Right? When you put it that way, it's very... Yeah. 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 And so if we're talking about, you know, in vitro fertilization and we're talking about sexually transmitted infections and we're talking about, you know, sexual assault and how to use pronouns in the clinical setting, why aren't we having conversations about how to facilitate discussion about people's sexual experiences to make sure that they're staying safe, right? Both from a medical and a psychological standpoint. And I've been really kind of like appalled at how squicked out the ivory tower and other medical professionals become when I broach this subject, much more so than almost anyone else except the lawyers. Yeah. I've noticed that just listening to podcasts or reading work of other academics, even when they specialize in the sexual field, there's sort of this idea in our culture that I've observed. I'd be curious to hear your languaging of it. To me, it seems like there's sort of this like, well, of course we can have sex. We're just not. We're going to be removed from it. 
and we're going to use this tone of voice and we're going to be very like approachable about sex, but sex is over there and we're over here because we're academic and smart. And I'm like, what? There's like so much like whorephobic, sex phobic. And again, like you said, everyone has a relationship to sex. Everyone has a relationship to sex that is like so powerful in our life. So, yeah. And to be fair, I've, I've done that to a degree with you here today, right? Like I've done a little bit of dodging. I've done a little bit of like shrouding of my personal experiences as transparent as I've been. I'm probably less forthcoming than some of the juicier guests you've had on your show. Well, and we can honor the difference between keeping privacy private because we live in a world of this and you know, and so I think it's the like distancing that has the like air of almost shame to it of like, well, if I were talking about that, I would be less good. That I think we're shifting right now in this conversation. Let so. me clutch my pearls. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. I'm here for it. And the pearl clutching is rampant and I don't have any yep. pearls to clutch. Well, and isn't it funny how the pearl clutching is like happening out loud? And for anyone who's not familiar with pearl clutching, and just to make sure that I'm understanding, it's sort of the like feeling of like, oh my, we couldn't possibly broach that topic, right? That's pearl clutching. Absolutely. Yes. You you embodied it perfectly. Okay. Well, so I noticed that those people out loud in public, that's their reaction. And then those are the same people that like when I go around the corner, they're like, oh my God, by, by the way, I wanted to talk to you. And then they tell me the most fucking raunchy, dirty stories about what they did in the closet at church. And I'm like, what? Like, <laughs> so yeah, pro clutching for show can just stay in that theatrical space. And I, I love talking about the real stuff with you. Yes. I would love to know what you're most excited to explore in your work going forward. This is such an exciting time for you. Yes, it is. And going forward, I don't know. I feel like the first kickoff event with Artemis and I could feel it just from the energy in the room. It's like this little golden moment where this seedling is, you know, starting to peek through the ground and it's going to grow into something beautiful and amazing and beyond anyone's expectations, right? I would love to see large partnerships. Like one of one of the things that I would love to see again is partnerships with more mainstream brands, you know, like Honey Burdette, like Victoria's Secret, like, yeah. you know, Uber Lube and Skin. And, you know, as a physician, those letters behind my name give me leverage. And the fact that I don't work for HCA or some corporate hospital you know, United Healthcare owned healthcare company gives me the freedom and the independence to say things that a lot of other doctors aren't able to say because of the contracts that they signed. So what I see this growing into is really like a brand that is empowering and educating about women's health and the importance of pleasure that's also all about interpersonal relationships, that's all about exploring new ways of moving through the world, whether that's kinky or ethically non-monogamous or just like owning one's shit, right? And being able to do these things in a way that's healthy, safe, visible, not shrouded in shame, and that has a little like glitter Vegas sparkle on it for the people who want to have those experiences. Yeah. Fuck yeah. I keep daydreaming about like 
setting up a sex stories booth on the strip in Vegas. I'm like, should I just move to Las Vegas and just like collect sex stories on the strip? Because I love talking to people directly. There is something so exciting about that Vegas sparkle for a lot of people. You should come to Vegas. We can set up a sex stories booth on the strip together. And yes, let's do it. <laughs> I don't threaten me with a good time. I'm there for work a lot. Like I'm, I'm there taking pictures of people and making content with people. So that's in our do future. It. Absolutely. It's done. It's happening. Enthusiastic okay. consent. Speaking of sparkle. Yes. <laughs> so speaking of sparkle, if you could wave a magic wand and teach everyone in the whole wide world something about sex, what would you teach? Vaginal penetration is not the main event. There's so much more to it than that. The biggest sexual organ is the one between your ears. There's a lot of pleasure to be had outside of vaginal penetration alone. Fuck yes. Now I'd like your help with a fantasy brainstorm. If you had an unlimited budget to build a sexy playroom or house or castle, maybe some place that hosts Artemis retreats, my ultimate life goal is a big sexy retreat center. Maybe it represents you. Maybe it represents your brand. You get to pick. What would it be like? So this actually is a long-term goal of mine is to build a retreat center here in the desert in Las Vegas. <laughs> I've actually already talked to a real estate person about buying <gasps> land because I would like to build an estate. Facility seems like such a scientific term. I'm here for it, though. I like to do the human experiments. Yes, yes. One that has, you know, an industrial level kitchen, one that has a space that's like specifically for meditation, breathwork, and mindfulness, one that has, you know, sort of like a spa type of vibe with like a sauna where we can play with temperature one that has a dungeon that's full of custom built equipment and toys and floggers and electrodes and that's safe for fire play and of course has an aerial rig because I do aerial in all of my abundant free time and that has multiple private bedrooms with private bathrooms so people can come and stay overnight for up to, you know, a week at a time where I can incorporate the mindfulness and the consciousness and, you know, the medical learning with the playful aspects and the education and sort of have this all in a beautiful, sparkly space with surround sound and technicolor. And can there just be some resident artist quarters in case you need to like have artisty types come in and help people with their creativity? Because that unlocks our sexuality. Maybe just I'll add on to that. <laughs> I love that suggestion. And I am here to support the artists. Yes, I love the artist in residence idea. Wow. Okay. Dr. Amber Hull, where is the best place for people to find you on the internet? So my website is ArtemisLuxuryWellness.com. Folks can find me on Instagram at Artemis Luxury Wellness LV. I have a Facebook page that's not very active right now, but that's also Artemis Luxury Wellness. I'll be posting details both to the website and to my Instagram page about the retreat that's coming up on October 21st. Perfect. And links to all of that are in the description below. Dr. Amber, thank you so much for being a guest on Sex Stories. Thank you so much for having me. It's been an absolute delight to talk to you. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. 
Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com. 